what is going on everyone i hope you all had a great week uh we are exactly 30 days away from the nfl draft cannot believe that it's already here upon us season's right around the corner awesome just awesome uh, we're going to talk about a lot today. We're going to talk a little bit about pro days as these pro days are winding down now, uh, coming to the tail end of them. And, uh, you know, exactly what happens every year happened again. Everybody gets overhyped and Twitter blows up. But we'll get into that a little bit, uh, getting a little bit, a little free agency stuff, a couple re-signings, things here and there. Uh, a lot's going on in the NFL. But first, if you could, go ahead and hit that subscribe button for me if you haven't. If you have, thank you so much. And if you listen on Apple iTunes, Go ahead and leave me a review. Uh, if you're listening on Spotify or Stitcher or Anchor, wherever else, uh, unfortunately, I don't believe you can re- leave a review. So Apple iTunes, go ahead and leave me that review. That is uh, much appreciated. Thank you very much. All right, guys, let's just dive right in it. All right, let's start with a little uh, Roger Goodell news. So over the weekend, or not over the I guess over the week, Roger Goodell a couple days ago, posted on Twitter that he's expecting every stadium to be at full capacity for this season. Awesome. I mean, uh, to me, it's, it's great. I mean, we're having fans in the stands again, baby. Live crowd noise, not that pumped in filter stuff. Amazing. I mean, we we beat COVID, guys. We beat it. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's awesome. I think teams are excited about it. Fans have got to be excited about it. Uh, we kind of saw this coming, at least I did. I figured that they were going to have, you know, butts in the seats again they just came off of a multi i mean multi hundred billion dollar deal for the for the new tv structure and uh now they're getting fans back in the seats I just think the nfl is just the peak of their powers right now with this new tv deal and the way that they handled covid last year now i know look i i understand some games got canceled and you know steeler fans were saying it was unfair that they had to you know, postponed. They went from like a, it was like a Thursday to a Sunday to a Monday night. Then they ended up playing on Tuesday. Then we had a game on Wednesday. We had a game every day of the week, I think, last year. And, you know, some people could say, well, they didn't, ha-. I think they handled COVID perfectly well. There wasn't a single game missed last year. Uh, I thought the NBA bubble was good. I thought the NHL was good. I thought the MLB pretty much didn't even acknowledge it. If you like notice that Major League Baseball pretty much didn't even acknowledge COVID was a thing. They just went on with what they did. They played half season. They did the special thing with the playoffs with the runner on second. They tried a bunch of new stuff. Well, hey, you might as well. It's that type of season to try stuff. But I think the NFL did, did a good job. I think they did the best out of all four major sports. And at the peak of the powers right now. And a lot of that is for you, is the fans. I mean, you guys are making it go. You know, a lot of people, you know, when they came out last year, year before, they're protesting the NFL. You know, they're not going to watch it. I'm canceling my sports package. Well, it clearly didn't do anything because they just made all this money on this TV deal. And now fans are coming back. It's it's great. I mean, the NFL right now is at the peak of its powers. A lot of people, you know, I mean, I remember five, six years ago, I mean, ESPN was kind of a driving force of this, you know, that the NFL was losing it. And they're going to go down and they're going to lose ratings. And, you know, in 15 years, the NFL is not going to be a thing anymore. Well, that's really not the case. As you can see, I mean, the NFL is just doing double, triple the numbers of what, you know, baseball and basketball do combined. And a lot of that's credited to the fans, you know, credit to the people that are listening to this right now. Credit to the people like me that are talking about it. And, you know, say what you want about 
Roger Goodell, but I think he's handled this whole COVID situation pretty well. I think the NFL has done a great job. And like I said, I mean, they're at the peak of their powers. And the NFL, you know, hey, this might be this might be the peak for the next 10 years for the NFL. But that's a pretty great peak. They're doing more numbers on a Sunday night football game than at the baseball and basketball get for a playoff series. That's pretty impressive. And they're just going to keep growing and growing. I mean, it could be it. This could be where it's at. But if that's where it's at, if this is the plateau for the next 10 years, that's a pretty good plateau. And I think we're seeing these changes, young quarterbacks, better skill players, different people are coming up. These old guys are now leaving. Drew Brees just retired. Tom Brady's on the 18th hole. He probably has a year, maybe two in him. But then you got guys like Patrick Mahomes coming up. And you got you got polarizing players like Baker Mayfield. The NFL is, man, peak of its powers. And now they're letting fans back in. We're going to be able to enjoy a game with a beer and a hot dog. Bills fans, Browns fans, Bengals fans, doesn't matter. It's going to be awesome. I'm glad fans are coming back. It's going to be, it's a better watch when fans are in the stands. Red zone's better. Everything's just better with fans in the stands. And Roger Goodell came out and said, you know what? It's doing it. This is, we expect this. And when the NFL says they expect something, usually it comes through. So I'm excited to see. Uh, how next fall goes. Excited to have the fans back and excited to watch some NFL football. Okay, let's talk a little Jacksonville Jaguars, particularly a little Urban Meyer. This is going to be Urban Meyer's first year coaching in the NFL, and Urban was a great college coach. I mean, arguably one of the best college coaches of the last, you know, 20, 30 years. Just a rock star. He took Utah, a losing organization, and made them winners. I mean, he got Alex Smith in there, and Utah just looked good. He did the same thing with Florida. Couple natties there. Went to Ohio State. Dominated there. And then he decided to retire. And then he said, you know what? I'm going to go to the big leagues. Came up to the NFL. But Urban, I don't think, realized that the NFL is just so much different than college football. It's more dynamic. There's different things. And Urban Meyer came out uh, right last week when uh, middle of free agency. And he said that he's kind of unhappy about the free agency process. What Urban Meyer was really good at in college was recruiting. He could go to a one-star, a three-star, a five-star's house, sit down with their mom and dad, recruit, talk, you know, say anything anybody wanted to hear. And he was just really good at it. He was good at recruiting. Well, you don't recruit in the NFL. You pay players in the NFL. Now we can get to the brown bagging in college football where, you know, the the player goes to the McDonald's. They, they give him a specific McDonald's to go to, a specific number to order on the screen. And then the, the cashier hands him like a bag of money. It's like 10 G's or whatever it is. But that's a different subject. You know, not all, not all, not every school does that. But yeah, yeah, it does definitely happens. But in the NFL, we're talking we're not talking ten thousand dollars in a brown paper bag so you can go buy the newest Air Jordans. We're talking about millions and millions of dollars. And Urban Meyer, he's not used to that. He's used to sitting down and recruiting, meeting these players first, seeing what they like, what they don't like, get him to come in their program, buy into what he's selling. Well, Urban, you're not selling anything anymore, okay? They just you just gotta pay these players. And he came out and said that as soon as the tampering, uh, you know, the tampering stage is lifted and free agency starts, you pretty much just start throwing money at the players, and that's true. He said he didn't like it. He said it upset him, but hey, nobody asked my opinion. Yeah, Urban, nobody did ask for your opinion. You decided to take an employable job in the NFL as a head coach. So you are now an employee. 
You're not just going to come in here and change the rules. This is not college. So Urban said the first week of free agency was tough because he just had to completely change what he's used to doing and recruiting to pretty much just signing checks. Or he doesn't really sign the checks. I mean, he, he to ask the player to come and the GM signs the checks and whatever. But <laughs> Urban, you know, already unhappy, already disgruntled in the NFL. I think Urban Meyer is going to be pretty good. I think he's a good coach. I think Jacksonville will have a really good chance in the next two to three years to be very consistently competitive. Now, here's the thing. Urban Meyer, the next couple of drafts, should be able to hit on a majority, especially his early round draft picks. He's recruited all of these guys in college. I mean, even if he they didn't play for his team, he still knows about them. He's been a college he's been on college game day with Reggie Bush and Matt Liner last year, I think two years now. He's been an analyst for a while. He's recruited these guys. He's watched these guys play. He should have a pretty good idea on what he thinks should translate well in the NFL. But Urban Meyer is used to knowing all the strengths and weaknesses for the coaches and players that he goes against. This is new territory now for him. He doesn't know the strength or weaknesses for Levante David. He doesn't know the strength or weaknesses for, you know, Derrick Henry. Now, you can watch him all he wants on tape, but until you see that freight train running at you in, in, in the league on a Sunday, you know, it's tough to really know things. So Urban's, you know, I, there's going to be some baby steps involved. And this is the first little hiccup that he's experienced. He's a little disgruntled. He's a little unhappy that other players are going to go to another team because they're just going to get more money. But that's just how it works in the NFL. You have to pay these players to play. You know, they're not going to play for free. So Urban, you know, this isn't college. So he's just, I think he's just going to hunker down. Well, I expect him to hunker down, clinch his butt cheeks a little bit, and be like, all right, this is the big boy league. This is not college anymore. This is big time. This is prime time. We're paying these players. I need to get these players. Even if I didn't meet him, I didn't talk to him. Maybe if I just know his techniques and if he fits in my scheme, because this is what my scouts are telling me. I have to rely on my scouts. I have to rely on my GM. I have to rely on my assistants that this is the scheme that they've seen, that this is what we're going to run. So he would fit. Boom. I got to pay him. Now, maybe without even, maybe only having one conversation over the phone. You're not going to meet him, especially with COVID protocols. So I expect Urban Meyer to kind of get going now. This is just the first little hiccup. Sometimes you, you expect something to be a little easier than it was. And then you hit a challenge and you go, okay, shit, I need to hunker down. I need to, I need to kind of switch my mindset here. I need to be like, okay, this isn't going to be as easy as I thought. Even if you didn't think it was going to be easy, maybe you thought it was going to be challenging, but you hit a, a hiccup that you just weren't expecting to hit. You hit that pothole on a road that you thought was just cleanly paved. Well, it wasn't. So now you got to just, you got to be more careful. Got to be more watchful. You got to have a better understanding on what's going on. I expect Urban Meyer to be pretty good. I don't think he's going to win any championships. I don't expect him to coach longer than five years. I think this is just him coming into Jacksonville. He's going to hit the reset button for an organization that has been pretty miserable since their existence, which 1999, I think. I'm older than the Jacksonville Jaguars. So he's going to come in, try to hit the reset button, try to hit on a bunch of draft picks. They're going to get Trevor Lawrence, try to rebuild this franchise. I think he's gone in five years. But I think he can do a lot in five years. I think they can go to the playoffs three out of those five years if he hits on those draft picks and if he can coach in the NFL. Because there is a little bit of a difference. There's a little gap difference. And we've seen that in the past. We saw that with Nick Saban. We saw it with Pete Carroll the first time. You know, he had Pete Carroll had to go back to college, win a lot at SC, came to Seattle, was fortunate enough to get Russell Wilson. Boom. 
Super Bowl winning coach, arguably one of the best coaches in the league right now. And so if Trevor Lawrence is the guy, he's going to make Urban Meyer look really good. And if Urban Meyer is a really good coach, he's going to make Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars look really good as well. I expect, you know, Urban to just kind of pick himself up a little bit here, realize that this is the big boy league. You're not coaching and playing Sisterhood of the Blind every week now. You know, you're playing NFL teams. You got to play the Colts twice a year. You got to play the Titans twice a year. This is not is not playing Penn State, you know, when when you, you have a bunch of five stars and their quarterback just got hurt and their quarterback's a three star and you're going to destroy them. No, that's not what's happening. Backups are going to come in. Backups are still great in the NFL. I expect Urban Meyer to kind of stiffen it up a little bit, get things right. I expect this ship to be straightened up. And in the next year or two, I expect the Jacksonville Jaguars to compete for that division. We'll see how good Carson is in Indianapolis, but Trevor Lawrence is the real deal and Urban can really coach. I expect that ship to be sailing straight. Okay, let's get into a little pro day talk. Uh, I know I talked a little bit about pro days. I think the last podcast or the podcast before that. Uh, pro days are more important this year than normal. Usually pro days are absolute nonsense. But with no combine, pro days are just more needed. There's going to be more focus on a pro day. And there was a lot of focus on these pro days. Now, look, I know that we usually overhype and overblow everybody every year. With the numbers and everything that comes out, you know, somebody's height is a little taller than they think or shorter, someone runs faster. All of a sudden, this guy, wide receiver from Old Miss, who we didn't think was very good, runs a 4-3-9, and everyone's blown away, saying that he's got to move up two or three rounds. He was projected to be a fifth rounder. Now we're going to take him in the second. And usually that never works out. But us as humans, and especially in today's age, where everything is just so quick on your phone, you know, you can get anything with a tap of your fingers that it's always, you know, the new thing is the hottest thing. What we see from this guy is better than what we see from that guy. In our, It's like our brain, every night we go to sleep, just washes away from what happened the day before. And the new thing is what's up. So, I mean, Zach Wilson had his pro day. And man... I I could not go on a single social media platform without it being Zach Wilson is the savior of the NFL. He's the next Aaron Rodgers meets John Elway meets Peyton Manning. This guy's going to win ring after ring because he threw one really good pass against air. Folks, <laughs> look, I, I'm into these pro days. I want to see what these guys measure at and how the ball releases from their hands. You know, how, how an offensive lineman runs. I want to see the techniques. You, you can't be excited because somebody that's been playing 11 on 11 against air his entire life, you know, since he was seven, threw a really good pass while he rolled to the left and threw it back right. <laughs> I, I had friends in high school who tried to play quarterback that, that could do stuff like that in flag or just against air. But when it comes to, you know, in the league, when it comes to a 340-pound defensive lineman barreling down your neck, can you make that throw? That's what we're talking about here. So Zach Wilson, whew, everybody loved him. Loved him, loved him, loved him. And, you know, his pro day was pretty good. And that throw was pretty nice. But it was against air. You can go watch Sam Darnold's best play in the NFL right now, and he makes pretty much the exact same throw that Zach Wilson did. But the difference is, is that Sam Darnold was a second down in a live action game with a defensive lineman barreling down his neck, scrambled out of the pocket to his left, made a beautiful throw to Braxton Berrios, go Gators, 
for a touchdown. I mean, it's the same throw. It's not against air, though. So, you know, can, can Zach Wilson really play in the league? I don't know. But I know that Sam Darnold can. Now, Sam Darnold, he has flashes of that. He has more bad than good. But who, who's to say that's not his team as a whole? So everybody was just blowing Zach Wilson. I mean, just blowing him. And then now Justin Fields had his pro day. And now it's Justin Fields, the savior of the NFL. This guy can do no wrong. This guy is Cam Newton mixed with Lamar Jackson mixed with Andrew Luck. What? What are we talking about? Because the guy looks great with his shirt off running a 40-yard dash. Yeah, he's fast. He ran a 4, 4.4440. That's, that's fast. And he's clearly a physical freak. I mean, he measured in at like 6'3", 230. Zach Wilson actually a little bit taller than I thought. More more weight on him. Official measurement was like 6'2", just under 220. That's uh, that's pretty good. That's I thought he was going to measure in at 6 feet, like 210 pounds. So Zach Wilson a little bit bigger than I thought. But Justin Fields, now he has that pro day. He makes some really good passes. He makes almost the exact same throw that Zach Wilson did. And now everyone's blowing Justin Fields. I mean, just blowing him. But a day before Justin Fields took the field for his pro day, you know, it was, yeah, Mac Jones is going number three. And now Justin Fields does his pro day, and now it's, Justin Fields has to go number three to the Niners. They can't take Mac Jones. Did you see his pro day? Let's jump to Mac Jones' pro day. Mac Jones had a pretty good pro day. Very solid. But he missed a couple balls deep, and people were saying, yeah, this guy doesn't have it. You know, he clearly doesn't have it. You know, what we saw at Alabama wasn't it. What? So what you saw in an actual live game, that's not good enough than what you see on a pro day in shorts in a shirt against air? A thing that they've practiced like six or seven times before it even happens officially? It doesn't make any sense. And he over he overthrew these guys. It's not like he was skipping balls. Now look, I, I talked, I, it might have sounded like I was kind of bad-mouthing Mac Jones on my last podcast. I don't want to badmouth Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones can play in this league. I think he actually can be a viable quarterback. I think he could be a great backup. Can he be a starter? I don't know. But it's not like Mac Jones sucks. I mean, his teammates say that he's better than Tua. Smith and Jalen Waddle. they both kind of said that, you know, he's better than Tua. Now, is that true? I don't really know. I would have to lean to the more swords on Tua. But, hey, it's not like, not like Mac Jones is a scrub here. And now everyone's talking about him because he overthrew a couple of balls that he just that he sucks. I, I mean, this is this is what these pro days do. They 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 put a magnifying glass on these players, and you either come out looking like the next savior of the world or the worst piece of shit on the planet. And it's like, come on, man, this got to be a middle ground. We're not trying to see. This is not going to tell you if this player is going to be good in the NFL. All you're trying to see from a coach and GM's point of view. Scout's point of view, what is their size, their weight? How fast can they run? How does the ball come out of his hands? Does he have a quick release? Does he not? You know, how, how is he, wh- what's his feet doing in the pocket? Some things that you just want to get a nice bird's eye view on and not watch on a TV screen. You want to meet the player. You want to talk to the player. You want to see how his character is. You want to see and ask questions about how he treats his teammates, how he treats the trainers. Is he a, is, is, Does he walk into the training room? Just headphones on, doesn't say shit, kind of acts like a dick. Or, you know, is he in there being a leader? Seeing what's going on with his other teammates that are in the training room. How his trainers are going. 
You know, what's going on with this w- with the scouts that he's talking to that are coming to see him? You know, is he just kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or does he really seem like he wants to be involved? Does he seem like he wants to love to play the game of football? And that, you know, this is not about how far Zach Wilson can throw a football or how fast Justin Fields can really run. We know he's fast. We know we can throw the ball. I mean, these these pro days are just getting overblown like crazy. And that's just what happens. And that's what happens every day, every year at the Combine. But no Combine this year. We have these pro days. And it, it just seems like they're more microscoped than they usually are because there is no Combine. And man, I just, it, it's just crazy. You notice that the one pro day that no one's talking about is Trevor Lawrence. It's just no one's talking about his pro day. I mean, I know he was like the first pro day, but man, it's it's just, people are still talking about Zach Wilson. They'll probably still be talking about Zach Wilson's pro day in years to come. Just because you have a good pro day doesn't mean you'll be great in the league. There was a scout when Johnny Manziel came out. There was like six or seven people that said it was the best pro day they have ever seen in their life. Johnny Manziel will make it in this league. Dud. Jamarcus Russell. The headline was like, uh, amazing pro day for Jamarcus Russell out of LSU. Bonafide number one pick. And two years later, he shows up to camp like 70 pounds overweight. Bust. We cannot hang our hats on these pro days. They usually don't mean shit. I mean, not a dime. (laughs) But this year, they mean a little bit more. These coaches need to go see him. The GMs need to go see him. We shouldn't be just blowing these guys like crazy. I mean, the draft hype is going to be... This is just what happens. The players fluctuate up and down, up and down, up and down. But it's the media that does it. You know, it's ESPN and the NFL Network that, you know, they're trying to get stories, trying to have a hot take about how this guy is this good. He's going to be here. He's going to be there. He's going to jump up the board. This guy has to be taken before this guy. Did you see his pro day? Did you see his pro day? Did you see his pro day? Pro days don't mean shit. That's the bottom line. GMs know it. Coaches know it. They're just there to get a a nice, up-close, personal view on what you look like when they stand next to you and, honestly, what your personality is. How do you look when you're working out? Do you have that determined face or do you have that, I just want to get this over with face, get drafted in the league, make my money, and I don't care? They can tell. Bill Belichick can tell. Kyle Shanahan can tell. Pete Carroll can tell. All these guys can tell. These GMs can tell. That's what they're trying to do here. So please stop blowing these guys. I mean, I knew it was going to happen, but I just didn't know it was going to be this much. Let's let's calm down. Let's pump the brakes. Let's not say let's not anoint uh, Justin Fields as the number thir- 3 pick. Let's not anoint Mac Jones as a shitty quarterback or the number 3 pick. Lance uh, I don't even think has Lance even done his pro day yet? I don't even think he's uh, Trey Lance has done his pro day yet. So when Trey Lance does his pro day, I cannot wait to hear what everyone says. I mean, it's going to be, did you see him? Oh my gosh, this guy is amazing. He is amazing. You got to take him. If you're the Niners, you got to take him. It's not Zach Wilson anymore. It's Trey Lance at number two. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's just, let's just get over this pro day thing. Let's let the GMs and coaches do their work with what they need to do with it. And let's move on to the draft. I knew it was going to be bad, but damn, I didn't, didn't, maybe I didn't expect it. Maybe I pulled an Urban Meyer and I didn't expect it to be this overhyped. But with that being said, 
the one guy I'm going to talk about with pro day stuff, and it's usually non-quarterbacks. Non-quarterback pro days, they're just way better than quarterback pro days. So Kyle Pitts, Kyle Pitts' pro day was very impressive. I mean, this man is 6'5", 245 pounds. He ran a, what do you run, like a 4440 and he has an 83, 83 inch wingspan. <laughs> I mean, 83 inch wingspan is nuts for this guy. I mean, big body, quick. He's like a Travis Kelsey. To me, he's the second best player in this draft. I mean, he really is. And he was a freak show. He showed it. Uh, he, he did everything but bench press. But there was like a video of him benching early on in the season. He put up pretty good numbers there I think this dude's a monster and he's gonna go and have I think it's gonna be a hall of fame like career I really do I I expect a lot of big things out of Kyle Pitts the man is a stud he goes to the right system right quarterback right culture a place where he can just shine oh man he would just kill it Andy Reid would kill it with this guy it would be like having two Travis Kelsey's that would be insane. At that point, you could just let Tyreek go and then just have these two monsters work the field. But Kyle Pitts is pro day. That is one pro day I'm going to stand up here and say, wow, because that was, he just, the 83-inch wingspan, that's just really what gets me. I mean, 6'5", 245 to be able to run a 4'4", 4, 4, 4, uh, it's impressive. His catch radius, the way he can go up, Kyle Pitts, man, that is someone that I will uh, kind of, you know, go goo-goo eye over his pro day. All right, so I was thinking about this 49er trade the other day, about how they just, you know, made that move to go up to three. And it kind of got me thinking why, you know, that that's a ballsy move. That's, you know, like what I talked about earlier in the week. I mean, it is a ballsy move. There's a lot of risk involved. If you miss on this, it's going to be tough to come back from for Kyle and the Niners as a whole. So it got me thinking, you know, why would they do that? You know, why would they risk so much? Ballsy move. Mid up and do it. I mean, I love it. But to me, it's it's because the division that they play in forces their hand. You know, it's kind of like the company you keep in a way. You know, those friends that you keep around you, or maybe not even friends necessarily. Maybe it's just, you know, someone you kind of have a rivalry with, but you're not, you know, you're not enemies or any way. They push you to do other things, to step outside your comfort zone. Those are usually the ones to keep, you know, kind of close because it makes you try new things. It makes you better. Challenging yourself will make you better. And San Francisco is looking around their own division. And in my opinion, the most aggressive division in football at the Rams doing big moves, Seattle doing big moves, now Arizona doing big moves. It's um, it's it's an aggressive division now. Seattle, since Pete Carroll's been there now, I mean, they've been ultra aggressive. They went out and traded for Percy Harvin. They went out and traded for Jimmy Graham. They went out and traded for Jamal Adams. And I'm pretty sure they gave up a first round pick. I know they gave first round picks for Jamal. I know they gave it for Jimmy. I'm pretty sure there was for Harvin too. So I'm pretty sure they gave first round pick for all three of those players. And I mean, if you look at it in retrospect, you know, did Percy Harvin really work out or Jimmy Graham really work out? You could say whatever you want about it, but they took the swing. I mean, they step up and said, I want to go out and get Jimmy Graham and Percy Harvin's aren't guys that make it to free agency. I mean, back in their prime, they were guys that were getting re-signed. There was no way they were going to come on free agency. So they went out and traded for him. They made big swings. You know, the Rams with Sean McVay. The last five seasons, he's going on his fifth season now. I mean, he's been ultra aggressive as well. Trading for Jalen Ramsey. Paying Darnold all that big money to stay. Not afraid to change his coaching staff. He changed his defensive coordinator a couple years ago. Boom, Brandon Staley gets a job. Now he's the head coach. Now he's got to bring someone else in. He's not afraid to, to change his special teams or whatever. He's, he's not a guy that's going to stay in his lane. If he feels like he needs to make changes, take big swings, 
that's what he's going to do. And I think it's just been super evident the past 12 months for the Rams and for McVay. I mean, they got rid of Gurley. They took a little cap hit for that, but they got rid of him. They moved him, get him out of the locker room. They needed to. He was coming down to the injuries. It just wasn't good right now, the team setting. And then they go to Jared Goff and they say, yeah, we need to upgrade. Got his ass out of there. Gave away multiple first round picks to get Stafford. Yeah, they, they, but that is an upgrade at the position. Regardless, it's an upgrade at the position. And they're making big swings. They're, I mean, they're taking ballsy moves. Now, they're, even, even the Cardinals now. They drafted Josh Rosen at 10. A year later, they kick his ass out too. They take Kyler Murray at number one. They traded for DeAndre Hopkins. They added J.J. Watt. They signed A.J. Green. Say what you want about Cliff, and I'm pretty, pretty much the first one to say something about Cliff. Hiring him was a ballsy move too. Kime looked at it as an it's a young coach. He's an offensive minded. You know, that's kind of where the league is going. You know, we got pulled in with the McVeighs and the Shanahan's. So we hired, you know, Cliff. And I don't think it's the right move, but hey, it's a swing. They took one. I'd rather them do that than hire like Houston did with Cutley. You know, I I, I don't I, I wouldn't want that. And then you have the 49ers, who for the better part of five years now, since Kyle's been there, it's gonna be his fifth year, you know, they've managed the risks that they've take very carefully. And I mean, that's due to, I mean, their their staff as a whole, they have one of the best economic contract guys in the game. Uh, What's his name? Prague Marate. You know, he's really good with numbers and and they're able to find players for lower cost in other ways. And it's been honestly working for them. And that's a good way to run your franchise as a whole. You manage risk. They went to a Super Bowl. So it's not like they were just an eight and eight team or something like that. But there are times now, looking at his division, Kyle's got to go, all right, I got to take a big swing. I need to step into the batter's box and just not be afraid to strike out because I'm trying to hit doubles and they're trying to hit home runs. The Niners can't hit any more doubles. They got to go for a home run swing. And jumping up to three, I mean, there's really almost no bigger home run swing than going from 12 to three in a draft, giving up two first rounders, giving up a third rounder. You know, pretty much saying we're done with Jimmy Garoppolo. So even even if they do keep him this year, there's no way he's on the team uh, after after this year, start him next season. So it's pretty much if this rookie doesn't work out, Jimmy doesn't want to stay anymore, then that can be a slippery slope. You know, it's a big move and it's a premium move. And on Monday, when John and Kyle held their press conference, they you know, Kyle pretty much said, you know, we, we knew we had to pay a premium to move up to get there. And it, we thought it was worth it, even if we had to overpay. Because essentially, that's when you look at it, 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 is it an overpayment? Yeah, I mean, in a way, but it's paying a premium. And what did Jerry Jones, you know, once famously said, I'll always pay a premium for a premium. So if this third overall pick turns out to be a premium, if it turns out to be a multiple pro bowler, someone where they can consistently win with, more of a truck than a trailer, and if it is a trailer, it needs to be a high-end trailer, then, then then you paid a premium for a premium because you're going to get him at such a cheap price for five years. You know, you'll probably, if he's that good, you, you probably sign him in his fourth year instead of hitting that $30 million or whatever it is, you could just convert that into part of his guarantee so you're really kind of saving money in the next couple of years depending on where the market's at. I mean, then that would be a premium. Then you would pay a premium for a premium and it would work out. And in five years, no one will even remember what you gave up. If that guy's good, and let's say you're in the playoffs consistently, let's say, hey, Kyle, you even get back to a Super Bowl, maybe you win one. No one's going to go, oh, yeah, man, they gave up so much money to get him. No, 
They're not going to care because you're winning and it doesn't matter because it would at that point it would have been worth giving up your entire draft, your next six first round picks if that's the case. So you know, we pay a premium for a premium. And Kyle and John are really hoping that this number three pick now, whoever they take, whether it's Trey Lance, whether it's Justin Fields, whether it's Mac Jones, or if somehow it's Zach Wilson for whatever, because maybe, maybe, hey, maybe, maybe, maybe the Niners and the Jets have talked, and I think they have. I, I don't think the Niners would have jumped up to six, I'm sorry, up to three, without talking to the Jets. Because who's the head coach of the Jets? Robert Sala. Who's the offensive coordinator for the Jets? Mike LaFleur. Who did both of those guys come from? Kyle Shanahan. They're like best friends. So I got to imagine that Kyle, before made the move, was talking to Sala, was talking to Joe Douglas, was like, hey, you know, we're thinking of moving to three. You know, this is kind of who we're looking at. You know, sometimes they'll tell them who they'll take. And so both both teams will tell them, okay, the Jets say, I'm taking Zach Wilson. Shanahan guns, okay, good. I don't, I don't, I, we're not, I don't want Zach anyway. We're going to go Justin Fields or we're going to go Trey Lance or wherever it is, you know, and vice versa. Kyle could have been like, hey, look, I'm going to take, I really want to take Trey. Are you guys taking Trey? And Robert Sala's probably going to be like, no, we're not taking Trey. And they're not going to lie to each other because this is what happens normally when, when teams draft up. They call the team ahead of them because they want to make sure that they're not just going to give away all those draft picks for a hope and a prayer. They want to at least have some more information. Even if they don't tell them who they're taking, the team in front of them is like, yeah, we're not going to take your guy. Like when the Bears moved up to take Trubisky, they pretty much they were told that, you know, the team in front of them was not going to take their guy. Everybody knew why they were moving up to take a quarterback. Hey, we're not taking a quarterback. And that's not what happened. Because I'm pretty sure it was, who was it? Solomon Thomas that went in front of them or whatever it was. It was a team that didn't need a quarterback. So those moves happen. Those talks happen. I have to imagine that's happened with the Jets and the Niners. So I think Kyle thinks in his head that we did pay a premium. We knew we had to pay a premium. We're going up and we think we're we're still kind of crossing our fingers because you're really crossing your fingers until your guy's there when you're on the clock. But at the end of the day, I think he has an idea of two guys he could probably get or one guy that he thinks he can for sure get. He's going to go up, pay that premium, and he's going to try to you know win a Super Bowl, have a winning season, be aggressive like the other teams in his division. You know, the West Coast has just been more aggressive recently nfc west particularly but west coast in general you know the west is a little different than the east and the south you know sometimes the east can be a little more traditional the south can just be a little more stuck in their ways in a way so the west is just kind of changing a little bit more out here i just saw that uh what's her name for the chargers she's trying to get her family to sell the team i I didn't really i didn't click the link or anything just what i saw there's rumblings or whatever they're cheap owners very cheap owners so we'll see but that'll be another change in the west the raiders are moving the raiders moved multiple times now they're in vegas the west is just kind of where things are just kind of blossoming a little bit more now we're being more aggressive with our stadiums with our players with trying to just win at all cost and i think the nfc west is just the biggest example of it. I think they're the most aggressive division in the league. I think they're the hardest division in the league. And I think they're probably the funnest division in the league to watch. And now, after the draft, at the beginning of the season, I cannot wait to watch the NFC West. I think the storylines are going to be fascinating. How Stafford's going to play. You know, what's Jimmy going to be on the team? Is he not on the team? Who are the Niners taking at three? Is he going to start? If Jimmy's still on the team, is he not going to start? You know, Seattle, the whole debacle with Russell Wilson. How are the old guys in Arizona now going to fare? Try to win a try to win the division title there. I'm not sure, but the NFC is going to be crazy in general, and the NFC West is going to be amazing stories. All right, guys, a uh, sh- little bit of a shorter pod today, so I think that's probably going to do it. But before I go, uh, I saw earlier today that Roy Williams, the head coach of the North Carolina basketball team, announced his retirement after 33 years of coaching. I mean. 
Roy Williams, an absolute legend, and I just, I just, I'm sad to see him go, but I'm glad he's retiring on his own terms. I mean, the guy won three national championships in North Carolina, really brought North Carolina back into the limelight, and it's just, it's always been an A program, but Roy Williams really took it over the top, and I'm sad that, uh, he's sad he's leaving, because he's usually a, a guy I, I bet on during March Madness, but I'm sure whoever the Tar, Tar Heels will hire, he might have a hand in it to keep the thing going, maybe not, but 33 years of coaching he's been absolutely amazing i mean Roy williams is a great guy highly energy you see me so high energy loves his players and his kids he's always dancing after wins and stuff in the locker room Roy williams is a great guy uh sad sad to see him go but just happy with a great career he had just unbelievable so a little shout out to Roy williams there but uh, i think that's gonna wrap it up for me here this week i uh, hope you all have a great weekend there's some golf on we are a week away from the masters as well uh, if you, you do a little gambling, you know, mybookie.ag, go there and uh, you can throw a little, throw a little, spread a little money around on some golfers. I think, I think uh, Tony Finau playing pretty good. Matsuyama playing pretty good. Jordan Spieth playing pretty good. So if you like that, watch a little golf, maybe watch a little Masters next week. A little golf this week's too. The Vala, Texas Vallejo Open or whatever it's called. But uh, awesome. All right, guys, I appreciate you. Thanks again. And I will see you all next week. Adios.